Hi everyone, good to see you all. I'm a bit nervous as well, excited, so I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we'll start with a small quiz, small game. It's gonna show up on the screen. Yes, I don't know if you can see everyone. So here we have a building and here we have poles. So poles that help to electrify the trains actually. What's the common point between two? They're both made by the same company. <laughs> <laughs> the house has electricity too, I guess. Construction. Yeah. Yeah, something exactly there. Yeah, the common denominator. Yeah. That's right, that's right. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's somewhere. It's something you don't see, but it's very useful in both cases. Foundations. Foundations. That's right. We'll get back to this idea of building by the end of the sermon. So something I think actually nobody knows about me here except Rose, my wife, and I'm a, quite a fan of dad jokes. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but you know those jokes like, why is six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine, you know. So I was scrolling the other day and I purposely, I saw this one, which is maybe not a real dad joke, but somehow. It's saying, you know, success is not as rewarding as it seems. Caesar was a great emperor, and they named a salad after him. <laughs> anyway. uh, today we're going to talk about success. In the cesarean section as well. That only works in English. Although it was born naturally. I know that So success is a huge topic, multifaceted, not straightforward. And also I am aware that I've got a lot to learn about success because I believe that success, our understanding of success, our experience of success is linked with experience and age. So if there's something that comes up today on my sermon which is a bit insensitive or you disagree with, Please, let's have a chat after the service. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> the, the sermon will be a combination of my reflections on my experience, on my past six, seven years of experience at work, my workplace, but also a look at God's word and what does God say about success? What does a successful person look like? And so let me take you back to my experience six, seven years ago. I was studying in Switzerland. I graduated as a fresh graduate, joined an engineering company, civil engineering, got plugged into railway projects at the start. I learned a lot. I grew a lot. I got uh, responsibilities on the way. And slowly I moved on from being an engineer to a project manager. The place as well, the workplace was um, quite challenging. As during this past six, seven years, I had six or seven different supervisors or bosses, which brought al along different dynamics, complexities, sometimes tensions. We were as well short of staff, so lacking resources. So often I would end up doing the job of an engineer and project manager at the same time. That would bring quite some stress with it. And as well, there was a high turnover in the company, which didn't help with the environment all that. But still overall, 
I left my work end of last year, end of 2022. I was quite pleased by my achievements and how it all worked out. So from the outside, it looked good, great. From the inside, a bit of different story. The stress ended up getting to me and manifested itself in different forms in my life. Uh, one, for example, I've lost many nights of sleep. Until now, for example, yesterday I woke up at 7 a.m. I said, whoa, because I'm generally used to like waking up. Ah, it's 3. Ah, it's 5. Whatever. And something else, for example, it's been quite some time that I haven't experienced I've lost my appetite, right? And it's actually quite nice. Yesterday I felt hungry and it's is a nice feeling actually, like feeling hungry, you know? And most of all, I have to say the thing that I regret the most is um, the hurt and damage that I caused in my relationship and in my marriage. And so the picture I'm painting here is one where I let myself get overwhelmed with work stress getting to me and all my energy actually went to work and i had little energy left for something else i didn't really lead a, a balanced life i was consumed and work had priority and things unfortunately came second so here it's important to affirm that hard work is good uh, it is a biblical principle and from the onstart i was very motivated by what the bible said you know paul says whatever you do do it wholeheartedly as if you're serving the lord you know or daniel the scripture says that he had an excellent spirit on him so excellence is something you know that is biblical hard work is biblical it's an ethical principle i think the challenge has been for me the issue is the driver Right, of that hard work. You know, what is driving that hard work? So I've had the, I've, I had the privilege of having um, a sabbatical between two, a sabbatical, that's what I like to call it, between two jobs. I left to the end of last year and now I'm starting a new job um, in a week's time. And it was a good opportunity to, to settle down, to think about my past experience, with quite a bit of um, counseling as well, I got to reflect on the past. And most importantly as well, I carve a better way forward for me. And here the picture will not be complete if I don't mention that uh, I wouldn't be here on my process if it wasn't for my wife. And really her patience, kindness and grace and walking alongside me is... Uh, unspeakable really. and so as I was writing my thoughts um, last month some I asked myself some questions right? and the first question was have I been successful uh, and the short answer is from the world's eyes yes I think I have been successful if somebody else saw me and my workplace my clients my colleagues yes have I been a good steward of my health not really have I been a good steward of my marriage Partially, have I been successful in God's eyes? And that was the, the question I asked myself. The quick answer that I gave was, not really. Now, as I've been thinking, I a bit stepped back from that quick answer. 
because I think our stories are dynamic. And what I, what I mean with that is that God is in the business of redeeming, I think, our stories. Uh, he can use our broken stories uh, you know, for his good, for his glory, and maybe for the good of others as well. So I think here we can say it is safe to say that success in the world's eyes is not necessarily the same as success from God's eyes. Right, in my experience, professional success came at the expense right, of other parts of my life. And I think the clear example that we have is, is Jesus. Right? Right, Paul in 1 Corinthians says, The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is for us who are being saved, it is the wisdom and the power of God. Right. I believe, though, that sometimes success from God's eyes can be in line with the world's eyes. I believe that some of us are called to be successful in our workplaces. And that is in line as well with how the world sees it, and it's in line with how God sees it. But also... I think there are sometimes that people, we will do some things which people, the outside people will like raise their eyebrows. Okay, this doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Why are, doing, why are you doing this? And so the heart of today's message, the sermon, what I want to touch on is that God's call on our lives is not necessarily, is not success from the world's eyes. But what I believe to be a helpful metric is faithfulness that leads to fruitfulness and let's let's go together in the let's look at scripture about what God says about fruitfulness and being fruitful we start already from Genesis 1 first chapter God creates human beings humanity he makes them in his image they are called to reflect his image. They are called to reflect his character. They are called to fill the earth right? with his image, reflecting the image of God. And so the mandate, the creation commission, the creation mandate for Adam and Eve and humanity is be fruitful and multiply and increase. And again, after the flood, we see that again, that creation mandate again reinstated. God says to Noah and his sons, He blessed them, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. That's that creation mandate motif coming again. And Egypt, the story of Joseph, etc., and Exodus, apparently they reach Israel, the people of Israel attain that blessing. Exodus says the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful, they multiplied greatly. But then the people of Israel go through a series where they disobey God and they are driven out of the land. Right? But then again, through the prophets, God calls that he promises that he will regather his exiles. And he uses again that imagery. We see, for example, in Jeremiah, he says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful 
and increase in number. Right? So that creation motif, we see that God was constantly bringing back as people, right, to his original design for them to reflect his image right, on earth. Again, in Psalm 1, there's this beautiful picture right, of that righteous person right, who was in covenant relationship with God, who is described like that tree, who was planted, well planted and well watered, and who bears fruit. Right? The psalmist says that he is planted by streams of water and yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. And there is, it's very interesting to see this connection. It seems like inseparable connection between devotion to God and fruitfulness. Right? This righteous person it says that he is one who delights in the law of the Lord, right? who meditates on his law day and night, and he bears fruit. Right? This inseparable connection. Our devotion leads to fruitfulness. Again, in the New Testament, Jesus picks up the theme. For example, in the parable of the sower, right, when the seed, the word of God, falls on the good soil, right, it's that person who internalizes God's word. Jesus says that he bears fruit. The last one. And Paul... We see this beautiful passage in Colossians. I'll read it. It says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout all the earth, just as it has been doing among you. Right? So then Paul prays that they would, the Colossian Christians will be filled with the knowledge of God and so bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God. Right? So it's, it's beautiful how Paul picks up again this theme, right? this creation mandate motif. And he calls the Christians, right, whom he's writing, to bear fruit and grow. At that same, how Adam and Eve were commanded to reflect God's image on earth, so are we. That's what I think Paul is saying. We are to reflect Jesus in our lifestyle and behavior. I think more than that, when we read Colossians as a whole, I think there's a theme running, one theme running through the epistle, which is interesting, and I've summarized it through what we see, is that through the power of the gospel in Christ, God is creating a people who are being renewed daily in the image of its creator. And these are the people who will fulfill the creation mandate to reflect God's image and so be fruitful.
Now, as we've established God's desire for our fruitfulness, He desires us to be fruitful. Let's let's work a bit uh, on the mechanics, if I can say, of, of fruitfulness. We will qualify as well what fruit is, what fruitfulness means. And from this passage, it is interesting. We can come back to the Colossians, please. Yes. It's interesting that Paul is thankful in the pa- passage, right? He is thankful to God for the Colossians. Right? Because... Clearly, their love, the attitudes of love, faith, and hope have resulted in good works. So without these marks, there would be no thankfulness, thanksgiving. And so for, uh, there's an inseparable, for Paul, inseparable link between these attitudes of faith, love, and ho- hope, and the good works that the Colossians are doing. It is interesting as well to notice something else here about the mechanics of fruitfulness is that Paul is praying that the Colossian Christians will be filled with the knowledge of God and that in turn that knowledge of God will result in good works and a greater knowledge of God I think that's interesting so it's not a circular thing it's a spiral going on right that knowledge of God will result in good works and a greater knowledge of God It's important to say that clearly works are not the basis of our salvation. But they are for, for Paul here we can understand that it is the evidence of true hope, faith, and love. Let's narrow down this idea of fruitfulness and fruit and see what Jesus has to say about it as well. In John 15. The passage of the vine says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think it's the verse before that where Jesus says, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This was pretty helpful. Uh, theologian named Carson says, "What is the fruit?" He says, "The fruit is the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine." Right? In other words, I think it is the result, the outworking of the inward transformation that comes by abiding. And the vine. And so fruit, I think as we know, the metaphor takes time to grow. Uh, There is something to keep in mind. And as well, that fruit will look different in everyone. I think also that in every one of us here, fruit will look different in each and every one of our lives. I think here the the picture would be would not be complete if we don't say the following that this process 
of our faithfulness, of us abiding in the vine, and then our fruitfulness resulting from that faithfulness is led by the Spirit. Right? And that is true. There is this promise, right? From also, we already see from the Old Testament that the Spirit fulfills God's promise that He will renew our hearts. Right? And that from that renewal will result, will bring fruit, and we will be fruitful. That's why I think Paul talks about all the time, he says, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Right? It's this real, uh, the sense that our lives should be filled with the Spirit, should be led by the Spirit. And so as we close this part on fruitfulness, we see that there's God's desire for our lives. And our part, I believe, is clinging to that vine. Right? And that's God's promise. Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. As we come to the close, I want to share my experience on how it looks for me, what it means for me to abide in Jesus. Yeah. Uh, scripture reading, prayer, fellowship, community is, I think, the bedrock. It's very important. For me, these two th principles that I'm going to share have been very helpful to abide in Jesus moment by moment. Uh, firstly, reminding myself that I am a child of God. Right? And one thing that I've discovered in myself through, through reflection, counseling, etc., is that I'm, I'm afraid of failing. Right? Which is, I think, maybe a good thing, because ambition is a good thing, I believe. But I have an unhealthy fear. I had, and I have to a certain extent, an unhealthy fear of failure. Because failure in me, in my subconscious, is very linked to feelings of loneliness and not feeling loved. So I will do whatever it takes not to fail and to avoid circumstances where I can fail because in those moments I will feel those things. And so I will even cross my boundaries in order not to fail. And this principle of applying God's kindness to my life knowing that He is kind to me, that I am His child, I am unconditionally loved by the Father. You know, tells me that my worth is not equal to my achievements. You know? And I think this process as well is led by the Spirit. I think two more. Yeah, yeah. Um, Paul says in Romans uh, that the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Right? So it is the Spirit who tells to our spirit that we are children of God. Second principle I've learned is living in the present with God. And that is not to say that we shouldn't plan for the future, because I think that is wisdom, to plan for the future. But I think it's doing what God requires of us now. 
know, to give one small example, uh, as, a, as a project manager, I would do bids so that we can win projects. And there was this one that we were doing for a train station in Switzerland. <laughs> and I hadn't had time to work on it. And it was Friday and it was due on Monday. So I had to work through the weekend. And it was the weekend where I was leaving Switzerland to come here. So it meant instead of spending time with family, my wife, I would like have to work. But in that moment, I remember that I told to myself, you know, by like trust in the Lord, you know, stay calm, trust, and he will provide. Either he will give me the strength, because sometimes it has happened that he has given me the strength to go through it, or something will happen and the circumstance will change. And in this particular example, as I was boarding the plane to come here, one stakeholder pulled out of the bid. And so we didn't have to do the bid, submit the bid anymore. And my weekend freed up. Mm -hmm. Just a small example to say that for me, the importance of obeying God in the moment and trusting him to provide. And sometimes he will change the circumstance as that example. But some other time he will give you us the strength to go through that circumstance. And I just want to read this, um, this quote from a French archbishop called François Fenelon. That's very French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Says, one of the cardinal rules of the spiritual life is that we are to live exclusively in the present moment without casting a look beyond. You remember that the Israelites in the desert followed the pillar of fire or of cloud, without knowing whether it was leading them. They had a supply of manna, but for one day, all about that became useless. There is no necessity now for moving rapidly. Think only of laying a solid foundation. See that it is deep and broad, by an absolute renunciation of self, and by an abandonment without reserve to the requirements of God. Let God then raise upon this foundation such a building as he pleases. So this building theme and foundations remind me that as we cling to the vine, we will be inwardly transformed to become like Jesus. That is our foundation. And that through abiding in him, God promises that we will be fruitful. And as this sermon was part of reflecting my, my story, I, I've been quite challenged to go back and encouraged as well to go back next week at work with a renewed say, definition of what success uh, looks like. Amen. <laughs>